welcome to another episode of Read the Fucking Manual. Today, though, we're not reading any manual. We're chilling. We're taking this month easy. We're reading a short game next episode. But this episode, we're just hanging out. Uh, we have some questions for each other and some questions from listeners. Uh, and we will answer them. I am still Aaron King, at Aaron F. <laughs> King on Twitter. <laughs> And now I wish that I wish to no longer be Max. I want to. I want to come in with a. I am no longer Max. I am something else. But I feel like having already crafted Max as a as a personality, I can't. I can't abandon yet. Uh, maybe maybe chilling has changed you. Maybe, maybe. Can I even chill? Can anybody chill in this in this era? I'm doing it right now <sighs> by pretending everything is fine. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's that's one version of chill. I'm wearing clothes today. Oh, time for your favorite segment. <laughs> it is my favorite segment. I feel like we're going to abandon the segment for season two, P.S. But Oh, no. I feel like maybe we'll uh, we'll relegate it to TikTok or something if I ever get a TikTok up and running for, oh. for us. Um, I am. I'm wearing a shirt. Okay, to be clear, I'm still wearing my indoor sweatpants. This, I have not. I am still Max. <laughs> as established uh but i'm wearing this shirt that is uh it's just a t-shirt it's a light gray t-shirt which is very irregular for me usually i only wear dark colors or i wear neon colors so just like a drab light gray but it was a shirt that uh was given (laughs) to me by my partner's mother when our luggage got delayed when we moved here so we didn't have any clothing like our luggage got delayed and all our stuff was in a shipping container (laughs) and so we arrived and the heating in the place we had rented wasn't working (laughs) and we were like we don't even have all our clothes this is part of why we're chilling is because max has had a month (laughs) this was the first move to be fair um this was the the five four months ago move not the two weeks ago move uh but uh yeah, it's it's like it's a shirt that I think is meant to be quote unquote unisex and so it's like 700 feet long, but it's still just a t-shirt. I love it. Uh it's very comfy and I wear it once and then it gets even longer through the course of being worn and then all of a sudden I'm like this is too long. It's perfect when it's freshly washed and then it gets to like my knees and I'm like no this is too much. You're like a weird baby then. <sighs> I do feel like a weird baby in it. <sighs> uh it's over 55 degrees in minnesota so i have busted out the sleeveless shirts um this one i don't know what 55 degrees means 55 degrees fahrenheit is it's 12.7 degrees celsius baby whoa balmy (laughs) um yeah and this shirt is it's it's like a, a a powder blue and it looks like a shirt that you might get on vacation in Hawaii, and there's a big volcano island on it, but it says Waponi Wu, which is the made-up island in the movie Joe vs. the Volcano, starring Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, the first and finest Tom Hanks-Meg Ryan vehicle. Wow. Yeah. Someone got this for me, and I wore it so much that I sweated out the pits, and so the solution for that is to cut the sleeves off. I... (laughs) There's so much there. There's so much <laughs> to unpack in this shirt. 
I was gonna jokingly be like, when you said, oh, I'm wearing the sleeveless shirt, I was gonna be like, are you wearing the sleeveless shirt? The <laughs> most famous sleeveless shirt in the history of RPG Twitter? Uh, this is my headcanon. This is the best, the most iconic sleeveless shirt. Uh, for those who don't know, Aaron ripped off the sleeves of their shirt during a stream of playing Hambos, and it was the most iconic moment that's ever happened. It was fun. Yeah, well, I, well, I guess what you didn't know is that I've done that to so many of my shirts. That's why I was so ready. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, so today we're just talking about ourselves. I guess this is like a Meet Your Host episode. We will uh, bear our biases and bad takes. we haven't done that at all already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you know, feel free to skip this one if you're just only here for the games. I get it. Uh, we will be back next next time. You know, I wonder about if people are only here for the games, do they keep coming back? Because yes, we talk about games, but when I was editing the most recent episode with Ray, I was like, we just talked the sh- like we just we just shot the shit for like half an hour, and then we were like, oh right, yeah, the game, yeah, yeah, yeah. we should like get into the game or whatever. That was a very chummy episode such chum um yeah we'll see how we do with no structure we're just floating here we do have 10 questions that we compiled together (laughs) and i guess we're gonna roll on the chart are we rolling for questions yeah should we have like a set number of questions we have to answer we're really we're really free falling here i i wrote when i wrote my questions i was like i don't want to have to answer these so this is going to be great because I am really terrible at being put on the spot. Like, my brain just goes blank. This is, what, this is what happens when you go to art school, kids. Don't let your kids go to art school. They won't be good in exams. Uh, but I'm into it. Are you going to roll? Am I going to roll? Do you want to go have, first? I have a die. I have a die here. Do it. Two. Oh, we even got that sweet die roll sound. I'm going right. to edit that out and just use it over and over again. <laughs> two. Um, this is your question. Number two. Where do, Where do you, you feel you're from? Which yeah. I think is, I think, I think there are more words to explain what you mean by that. I don't know. I left it broad just so that we could, you know, just jam on it. Well, your this is your moment. Your jam is upon you. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I I mostly grew up in a town of 500 people in Wisconsin in the United States, so that's a big component of where I'm from. Uh. I went to college in a town of 5,000 in western Minnesota um, and, like, dropped out a bunch and so ended up just living there for seven years. And I've, I've lived in Minneapolis now for 10 years, kind of between the same two streets just going up and down the city. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, but my dad grew up in San Francisco, so that's weird. And my mom grew up in Nebraska. I was born in Texas. I assumed uh, when this question, when I read this question, where do you feel you're from? I thought you meant like, you know, like philosophically, like intellectually, where where do your ideas come from? Not just like literally. Oh, God. I don't know. My answer, that is so much harder than just like, yeah, yeah, where you grew up. I... (laughs) I wanna I wanna talk about how we both dropped out a lot. 
Yeah. And I also, so I also, I grew up in a very small town. Uh, it's an island, actually. It's not even a town uh, of Pender. Its name is Pender Island. It's in British Columbia, Canada. There are 2,000 year-round residents, and the population quadruples in the summer or some shit because it is um, beautiful, like a lot of British Columbia, uh, um, and quite cheap and so a lot of people own like unreasonably i'm sure it's not cheap anymore quite unreasonably large vacation homes um and so like the the year-round residents kind of a lot of them make their living uh working seasonally like for the tourists and for the rich people (laughs) um it's a very weird place it's a very weird place to raise kids uh shit gets weird and then I moved to Toronto when I was 13. And so I went from I went from an island of 2,000 to a million, a city to, of over 2 million at that crucial moment of being awkward in 13. And it was... <laughs> I, I would have lost my mind. It was wretched. It was wretched. Uh, I was really miserable before I moved because my parents are queer and I've been out since the dawn of time. And, uh, and I was very unhappy on the small town being um, the only queer family uh, in as Hickville as I think uh, British Columbia gets. And so I was a very unhappy child. And so I was really excited to move. Like part of the reason that my parents decided to move us is so that maybe someday I would get to meet another queer person, possibly even date one. Um, <laughs> and uh, but it was a lot. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot of culture yeah. shock for me. Uh, and now I live in Halifax. No, I don't even. I live in Dartmouth now. I lived in Halifax the last time we spoke. <laughs> I now live in Dartmouth, which is across the harbor from Halifax. Uh, and I'm back near water, but also near queers. So I guess I've kind of like melded geographically where I come from and where the I two essentials. Lived. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ocean plus homosexuality. Right is, is the dream. <laughs> Yeah, philosophically, I don't, who knows, that there's probably a huge part of that, that that's also where my ideas come from. Right. Boom. Rapid fire. Uh, I got a six. Oh, this one's fun. <laughs> Number six. If you could erase one RPG from history, what would it be <laughs> and why? Max bringing the aggression. I just, I like it when we're sassy, okay? I don't care if other people <laughs> like it when we're sassy. I like it when we're sassy. <laughs> Uh, it could be because uh, it could be purely petty. You could, you could go very shallow. It could be like, you know, you could protect the world from some kind of danger. You could take this question in any uh, possible direction you might want to. I probably have to answer it first because I rolled, don't I? That's how this works. Up to you. We're just chilling. When I was thinking about it, I was um, I was a little bit like, oh, maybe, maybe I have to kill my darlings here because... If we if we aren't talking about like all of the RPGs made by Nazis, which should all just be removed from history, right, right. Um, but if that's not if that's not the metric, if we're just like which ones do we want to remove, because for some other weird metric, what is what is a metric we could go by? Um, and something that I've learned on this podcast is that I despise the three hundred page rule book. I hate the 300-page rulebook. I do not want 300 plus 8.5 by 11 pages inside a hardcover book full of increasingly convoluted rule sets. Um, And so I think I have to kill 3rd edition. (laughs) I think that's the, the, like, in my mind, that's the genesis of 
that kind of book and that kind of format and the like expectation that an RPG book looks like that and has that much content and also that the bigger the better, you know, Um, which is of course where I started and what I have a lot of like nostalgic love for. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say like first edition AD&D, which I feel like is what was kind of TSR's attempt to really take control of Dungeons and Dragons and role-playing games and like stake their claim and protect their copyright and just like stop that so that weird things continue to flower uh back then but also those were the first like uh letter paper size hardcover you know 100 page mm-hmm. RPGs so yeah see I didn't want to go that far back because I actually like second edition <laughs> I'm enjoying playing yeah. it yeah and so like game wise I'm like no I think that was better than third Right. But yeah, like obviously it's the, the predecessor to. Right. I'm just thinking like butterfly effect, you know. Yeah. If yeah, we yeah, kill yeah. that, if we take out the, the, the apex predator of the time. If somebody could just erase the Lord of the Rings from history, we'd all be free. <laughs> uh, I almost, I almost a little bit believe that. It's fine. Uh, which isn't to say I didn't like pour through them when I was a youth and love everything about them and cry in the movie theaters and whatever. Right. Um, but, you know, youth, you grow up, you learn things, you change your mind. <laughs> both D&D. We were not even that exciting. It was both D&D. Right. Easy. <laughs> easy, easy. Uh, number nine. I just rolled. What are your other hobbies? I'm curious about this with you because I actually don't know if we've talked about your other hobbies, whereas I feel like you know so many of my other hobbies because I yell about them on the internet a lot. Yeah, I don't. Well, I don't. I feel like my hobbies are just like reading books and comic books. Uh, yeah, that's kind of it. Just only only books. I pet sit. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, for a while, I really wanted to be a cartoonist, but I was not good enough or fast enough at drawing so then i was like fine i will be a comic book like critic or academic um and i did not end up doing that for a variety of reasons um but i think that would still be a hobby of mine do you have any weird outdoor hobbies i walk a lot like i walk often when it's warm um like three plus miles a day I don't know, you know, there's like the weird history of walking as a hobby, like being a flaneur or whatever. Um, And I sort of consider that like pedestrianism as sort of a hobby as well. That's, um, there's a game design theory that centers all around that. Oh, Death Stranding, the strand type game. No, this is not. (laughs) How dare, how dare you? I'm leaving. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, What's what's the actual one? I don't know. I'll figure it out. But I think it's it's something about like flinnership. Like it is. There's a like the wandering, uh, like approach to game design. I remember reading something about it when I was doing my master's degree, and I was like, actually, this is a little interesting. And then promptly forgot it because the rest of the stuff I was reading had to do with like sex and identity, which is really more interesting. But uh, I think it had a, a it might have been written in response to games like Pokemon Go. Um, okay. But 
I'm curious. We'll post it. We'll Discovery, post a link in the show notes. That stuff. Yeah. I'll find it. How about you? Hit us with those hobbies. I just I have too many hobbies. I my hobbies my extra hobbies are hobbies. <laughs> Having a hobby is my hobby. <laughs> uh, this is I have so many hobbies and I go through them quite quickly. Um, I don't know if I'm as bad as uh, Izzy is. I'm probably just as bad as Izzy is. I think it's part of why we uh, get along so well. Um, but I am picking up a new hobby as we speak. Which is maybe more okay. So obviously, uh, I am disgusting and like mechanical keyboards. Um, <laughs> play a lot of video games, read a lot of books. Uh, I'm trying to think about like, is there any hobby that might be unexpected? Um, I really love knitting. I knit my first sweater this winter. That was very exciting. Um, I wear it all the time. It even looks good and it's really comfortable. And so I feel like I just like I leveled up. Yeah, you knocked it out of the park on that one. Uh, yeah, it's really good. Now I just got to make more sweaters. They take a really long time. Um, <laughs> turns out knitting. Yeah. Uh, very difficult. I did try to get into crocheting, and it's a very satisfying hand movement, but it also is a little crampy. Um, so that became a bit much. I uh, I can juggle. <laughs> this is just random facts about me. That used to be a hobby. I can juggle. Uh <laughs> I really used to love um when I was a when I was a, a youth, I really used to love uh all the weird like <laughs> like circus trick things. So like I won a yo-yoing award <laughs> when nice. I was a kid. <laughs> Amazing. Um and really liked juggling and then really liked devil sticking. Like those were all the things that I really <laughs> that I really took to. Uh <laughs> I also really liked to skateboard and rollerblade. Uh, I did the I did the extreme sport sport thing for a while, so I really had to like balance. Oh, you can be a little bit cool with like your uber nerd life. Yeah, um, yeah. If my body, my body is quite bad these days. So I used to be somebody who walks quite a bit, but uh, I also used to be a person who did a lot of a lot more physical hobbies, <laughs> um, and have done less and less as uh, my body deteriorates and presumably returns to dust at some point. Right. Um, as the, as we all do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, uh, I also throw axes. That's a thing that I do. Just at targets or in general? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I walk down the street throwing axes. <laughs> just I just like to throw them in random directions. No, at targets. I uh, played. I was in an axe throwing league for like three or four years before the pandemic hit and it kind of became an unsafe thing um more unsafe than throwing axes more unsafe throwing axes throwing during axes. a pandemic i uh, am i am determined to pick up hobbies now that i live in a small town uh slash like suburb situation and so have just just purchased a doot doot machine also also known, that, a, also known as a MIDI controller. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I've purchased a MIDI controller and I'm convincing some of my friends to teach me how to make music because, Sweet. again, I need to develop more hobbies. What a long question. So many hobbies. Yeah. Should I get another hobby? I feel like I don't have time, but I also feel like I don't do anything. That's the wonder of hobbies. You can yeah. just... Maybe... I like, uh... I like to take baths. <laughs> Baths is an excellent hobby. I do love karaoke. Uh, speaking of pre-pandemic things, I used to do karaoke like once a month as like a social outing with my friends. Not quite a hobby. Uh, is that a hobby? I don't know. I think, I think anything you do for just the joy more than once okay. is a hobby. 
Yeah, it's um, a good definition. Karaoke. All right. Next episode, the singing, the musical episode of RTFM coming I'll do soon. It. No one will like it, but I'll do I, it. I will not do it. <laughs> I will encourage you in any way, <laughs> shape, or form, but absolutely not. Um, okay, I'm going to roll. I'm going to roll again. What, what's, what's next for us? I got a seven. I'm actually really excited to hear your response to this, and I haven't figured out what my answer is. Oh. What director, author, artist would you love to have make an RPG? This could also be adapted as, like, what property would you love to see adapted to an RPG? But Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I'm, I feel like Ursula K. Le Guin, Le Guin, however you say it, just, like, had that sort of anthropological mind that I feel like would be very interesting for, like, setting and lore stuff. Um, that's my initial answer. Yeah, that's fair. That's I fair. feel like you can just start throwing out, though. I mean, just famous weirdos. Like, I feel like I would also just want to see, like, David Lynch or Nicolas Cage make an RPG just because they seem like strange people with strange conceptions of, like, play and rules. I really, I really want the Nicolas Cage RPG. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how much I wanted that. Until I mean, you already it. made Face Off. I did. Yeah, Nicolas that's why I'm like, RPG. yes, Nicolas yeah. Cage RPG. Uh, yeah, I feel like uh, in an attempt to be, um, I don't know, unique or whatever, <laughs> uh, I agree with all of those. I Okay, maybe a like, reframing of the question is like, maybe this wouldn't change it at all, but like, what's the, what's the most like out there? like author media maker creative <laughs> artist that you would like love to play the game of yeah because um, i think that like david lynch makes a game great i don't know if i want to play david lynch is actually david lynch did make a game she's not an rpg they made a there was a vr experience made out of um made by david lynch with david lynch about david lynch's work uh, it was really bad um <laughs> as most vr um uh, made to sell tickets to something that's stupid uh, right. was was has been for ten years, but yeah, that's a different thing, I guess. You still haven't answered, though. Well, I'm looking at my bookshelf. I'm kind oh. of like I'm looking at my bookshelf, and I'm like, what is the most interesting answer I could possibly give for this? Um, uh, another one when people have asked on, on Twitter in the past, just to like vamp and give you more time to look, <laughs> uh, like what what intellectual property or whatever. Uh, the cartoonist Carolyn Novak, they are making this awesome comic called body seed. That's like weird queer fantasy. Uh, and they're just an excellent artist. And this comic is really good and strange. And so just anybody who's gay, just more gay, (laughs) more explicitly gay RPGs, please. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I am looking at my bookshelf and my bookshelf. I'm sure that yours is like, is is very varied. Um, seeing as you i think you read more than anybody i've ever met um which says something because i read a lot and i know about a bunch of book nerds but i feel like you're you're really you really got that pacing down uh (laughs) but my my only hobby (laughs) right just different kinds of books uh but my bookshelf is split between um like extreme nerdery right like there's a lot of fantasy there's a lot of sci-fi uh there's my there's a fair there's a few a few graphic novels um and 
my my upbringing, which uh, was uh, I was raised by Wiccan lesbian separatists in British Columbia, which I mentioned a couple times. It's quite a bananas. But when I was growing up, my mother was doing her women's studies degree at the University of Victoria, and so I um, I grew up reading feminist theory. And would like go to her classes because she was a single parent. We couldn't always afford um, daycare or whatever. And so I would just like go to class and hang out. So I like went to my first women's studies class and I was like eight years old or some shit. Um, and I actually like enjoyed reading it. And so my bookshelf is like all of this extreme nerdery. And then uh, just a lot of like both old and new feminist theory. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think about a weird feminist theory RPG. <laughs> I'm like, which one of these would be the most interesting? And I think that it would be so scandalous and so hard to pull off. But I think I would love is if Patrick Califia wrote an RPG. I don't know who that is. Well, do not Google listeners unless you are ready for some smut. <laughs> um, I would say that Patrick Califia is probably one of like the more instrumental, like both both theory and fiction and smut authors of uh like feminist history um if i if i needed to if i needed to make them sound really fancy that's the way in which i would do it uh yeah so that's my like weirdest out there answer is like just queer smut rpg sounds great i want it to exist i also really but my like my really boring off the shelf answer is that i would really like there to be a murakami RPG. Oh. More walking simulator. Even like Death Stranding. Right. Yeah. What I mean is I want when I talk about when I talk about running to be an RPG. That's what I want. Uh just a bunch of essays in RPG format. (laughs) No, I love magical realism. I want like weird the world is kind of normal, but also this is there's just weird the vibes, you know, the slipstreamy vibes. Yeah. Uh whose turn is it? Is it my turn? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're down to six questions. And I rolled a five. Why do we this keep... one's this one sucks. This question sucks. <laughs> this is is this yours though? Yeah, it sure is. I'm I'm vetoing my own question. I'm gonna go to some listener questions. <laughs> I love that you didn't even read the question. The question is what is a cornerstone of your philosophy? I don't even know why you think that's so bad. I who assumed fu- who fucking wrote these bloated stupid questions. I assumed you meant like game design philosophy. Does that make it less sucky? I don't know. Sure. Let's go for it. <laughs> like what? Like, because I think that's an interesting question, right? Like we keep talking about, I think it's also relevant to the podcast in some way, because like we keep talking about all these books that we're reading that, and I think you and I have similar ideas about game design and similar ideas about play. And those keep coming up. Like when we're talking about revealing our biases, like those keep coming up in the way that we're reading these books. Cause I think we've been pretty harsh on a lot of them. I think they <laughs> totally deserve it. Uh, so like no defending of them, but like, I think that kind of implies, you know, that we have a philosophy about games and game design and play that is quite in opposition to a lot of the history of tabletop RPGs. Uh, and so I feel like that might be kind of interesting. All right, fine. You've talked me around. <laughs> we'll talk about it. <laughs> you, you have to go first, though. Oh, Jesus Christ. 
I don't know what the quarter store of my philosophy is. What we've been talking about table rules outside in the world lately, and I'm kind of opposed to table rules um, because I don't think you can rule in uh, respect or good behavior or table fun. rules. Meaning, like when we're playing, you must you yeah. can't look at your phone. You... Yes, no phones at the table is a pretty common table rule, right? And I think that that is a table rule that is is born of an old idea about what a game table should look like, um, and you know felt more true when phones were actually phones, right, in your pocket, right? Like, like, yeah, why would you bring your like when phones were primarily for making and receiving of phone calls? Uh, why do you need to move your phone to the table that you're doing? Um, and and I've kind of wavered on how I feel about a lot of those things in that I used to be somebody who really wanted it to like the 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 game table to be a place where people came to and did focus and like did take it seriously, which is because I used to be like a D and D GM where I would spend hours, hours, hours prepping D and D stuff, and so it would be like, yeah, of course, I want all, I want the like eight hours I spent this week prepping this game and writing shit to be like taken seriously and engaged with in good faith and whatever. And it just, it like, it used to bother me when people would bring their phones to the table because of that. Um, but I think we live in a world where the phones are ever present, so like, you gotta, you gotta move on, you know? Yeah, uh, and it just sounds like it's more about like, it's not about phones being bad. It's about hoping that people are bringing similar levels of engagement to the table. Yeah. Um, and that is important. It doesn't all have to be high engagement, but if someone is putting in a ton and feels like other people aren't, that can be a problem. But phones are not the cause of that problem. Like, right. Like, I think saying, know, like, I don't imagine bring there something. were old timey people like bringing sketchbooks and newspapers or magazines or whatever to tables, too. <laughs> timey people no no newspapers at the damn table uh but i think that like you know i think there's also like saying like don't bring anything intentionally distracting you know uh like don't bring a shiny beeping ball to the table would be nice but also i think that part of that is just like part of the reason that we play these games is to socialize right and so if what that means is the first hour isn't game playing it's just a group of friends catching up i've seen i've known people that like have found that to be an irritating process right where the beginning of a game session can be just social time. And, but I think that's really valuable. (laughs) That's part of why we're doing these things. So if the game doesn't happen, but you have a good evening with your friends, then great news, everybody. You had a great evening with your friends. Um, But in talking about game rules, I think I like summarized like what I feel about uh, play in, what did I say? I said there was, was just, be respectful, <laughs> do weird stuff. Something along those lines was my, like, <laughs> that's all I kind of want is, like, yeah. generally just be nice and do weird things. Respect everyone, be considerate, do wild stuff. <laughs> that was my, this was my game design ones. philosophy. I, I think I remember why I put this question on here, which is because I was talking to Dan from our 13th Age episode. Uh, he is a graduate of library school, and so is his partner in Gem Room Games. Um, and I am a library school dropout. Uh, but there are people think I'm making this up when I say it, but there are five laws of library science. Um, yeah, and so those are, I think, great laws for a library, particularly. Um, 
but also have become things that like I've internalized. So I'll go through them very quickly. They're all very short. One, books are for use. Two, uh, every reader their book. Three, every book its reader. Four, save the time of the reader. Five, a library is a growing organism. Um, and so these are instructions for like building a library and serving your patrons, like save their time. Books are meant to be used. Like <laughs> if a kid is chewing on a book, that's fine. Books are there to be like handled and used. But uh, the every reader, their book and every book, its reader are really interesting to me because it means like you can't just put quote unquote good books in a library. Yeah. Because those books are only good for certain people and you are alienating a lot of people and you are ignoring like your past self that read books that you now think are bad. And um and so just the idea that like people deserve to have a book to read and uh books that are out there probably have an audience. Um and so, you know, like when I'm thinking about like, oh, this book sucks, this game sucks, I try to remind myself that like that is for me right now, and other people might be very into fifth edition, uh, fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons, just like I was at some point, and like me being into D and D when I was brought me to where I am now, which is a place I value. So the idea of like it's personally not for me, but it might be important to some people, um, just stuff like that. Yeah, I mean that like that's I went on a I Twitter rampaged about it a while back, but like qualifying your statements is actually really important <laughs> to yes. be a good human being, you know? Like nothing nothing very few things. There are some stuff. There is some stuff that is just I will uh, the hill I will die on it's good or bad or whatever, but uh when it comes to like, you know, game design or game books in general, um you know, barring the most egregious and offensive things that exist. Right, like as always, fuck Nazis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all that shit. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Werewolf can GTFO. Werewolf is a bad <laughs> game. It is bad, capital B, hell I will die on. Um, but, you know, beyond that, it's like people get into weird shit about what kind of games are better than others or the best way to like play whatever the best OSR game is or whatever, whatever best, the best D20 game or the right mechanic for whatever. And I think it's like, you know, all of those, I think we should normalize the, I think in front of everything, everybody says not being silent, you know, right? <laughs> like it's implied because you said it. So obviously you think it. So I, it's not, it's not, that's not the thing that's being communicated. It's that I think people should be much more comfortable saying, I think I feel in my experience from my point of view, you know, based on this, based on this background that I have, this is a conclusion that I'm coming to, or this is a thought process that I'm having instead of this is bad. <laughs> um, right. I mean, let's be real. Most of the people that say blanket statements like this is bad or this is good are white cis straight men. And there is a reason for that. And so <laughs> maybe that should be not accepted <laughs> as a reasonable way to discuss things, uh, especially discussing things like people's creative outputs. Um, yeah, that was, that was me being slightly sassy, but 
also just sassy that like the discourse exists how it is. This is a thing. I think about the discourse all a lot. I really love engaging with ideas. I actually really want to hear most people's opinions. Like chances are if I follow you on Twitter, I am interested in your opinion. I am not really, however, interested in your hot takes. <laughs> but I do want to know your thoughts about game design. Yeah. I am genuinely curious about that. Uh, I want a side drinking game of this podcast to be every time one of us mentions dropping out of a, a school, you have to drink. <laughs> you can drink tea. It doesn't have to be whatever. Uh, Hydrate. Y'all are hydrating out here yeah. today. How many how many times can we bring uh, dropping out of school? I haven't done it yet, but I will. I will I will work harder to mention my history of dropping out um, as a fellow multiple time dropout. I mean, quitting or, things rules. Quitting things is the best. <laughs> I love quitting things. There's just so much in life. And sometimes to get to that good stuff, you got to get rid of that stuff that isn't working for you. Someday I will believe this of books also. I will internalize <laughs> this knowledge that it is okay to put down a book. Maybe that is... that's how I get through more books is because if I don't like one in the first 10 pages, it's out. <sighs> Do you? I'm so jealous. Oh my God. I want to live such an enlightened life. You don't even understand. <laughs> I am so jealous. I don't know what wires are crossed in my brain. This is such a deep character flaw. It causes me such distress <laughs> that I pick up a book and I will struggle with it for like two weeks, if that's yeah. what it takes. And like, in. And I'm trying to get better at it, so I've like put down some books recently. Maybe that's maybe I'm adding a question to this. Yeah. But I don't but it like it is hard. And I put when I put them down, I put them back on the to read shelf. I think that's that's a good that's a good compromise. You're not throwing it away, you're just not into it at the moment. I think probably I should be more okay with throwing it away. <laughs> There's so many good books in the world. And so like there's the part of me that's like, why are you even putting up with this? If there's some there's some like internal something that says like, well, you gotta finish it. Like you started the book, you gotta finish it. Otherwise the time you spent reading was wasted. Uh and I just I need to get better at it. I'm so jealous. Teach me the ways. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that it was ever something I learned, you know. It was just natural in me to feel like I could do that. What's the last book you didn't finish? Uh, I started Cry Gender. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a weird sci-fi book that one of Max's friends found. Uh, and I ordered a copy. And My copy by... is still on its way. <laughs> it was by someone named Thomas T. Thomas. And uh, it's just like... <laughs> I just was not a fan of the writing style. Um, there was a part where they like got to this island and they were like, oh, let's ride these electric moped things. And then they tried to turn it on and it didn't work. And then they tried again and it didn't work. So they said, oh, well, I guess we're not riding these. And it's like, why did you include that? It didn't build the world. It didn't build any kind of character. Like, you know, and I just kept hitting paragraphs like that where I was like, what? You're wasting my time. Get out of here. Thomas Thirsty Thomas likes to play 5th edition D&D. Um, <laughs> yes, just rolling to start these machines. Nope, Didn't guess not. It. Guess we got to I want to try. I want to roll. Yeah. 
uh, his middle name is Thurston, right? He's, it is, yes. in fact, Thomas Thirsty Thomas. Great. Love yes. It. Yeah. My copy is still in the mail uh, on its way to me from British Columbia, and I am excited because the cover is phenomenal. The cover's so good. Even the, even the pitch is good, right? Like, yeah. it is supposed to be this, like, gender weird sci-fi thing that I'm like, great, give me, give me that. I'll try it. Um, it may be a book that I, maybe I will also join you in putting it down <laughs> after trying it out for a small amount of time. <laughs> Sorry, JP. Sorry I couldn't finish it. I still might, though. I still have it. I kept it. I'm really good at finishing books if I'm reading it in a group. Like if I mm, like I used yeah. to run a I used to run a book club. And even if I didn't like something or had a hard time with it, like being in a book club was like, no, I can keep reading this. I can at least I'm going to get to yell about the things that I don't like, which now I have a podcast for it. But <laughs> <laughs> I recently um, put down A Peculiar Path by Jeff I Vandermeer. Oh, which I guess I didn't realize this, but is his intro to um, his attempt to enter like the young adult genre. Oh, strange. Uh, and it's it's not a it's not a good book. It's just not a good book. I think it's not a good book. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. It is this weird. It like on paper, it is perfect for me. So I have. It's a long story, but I'm really excited about what I'm about to say next. I live near a joint coffee shop, record store, tiny independent bookstore now. Beautiful. And I go there regularly for coffee. Uh, and it's called Morley's is the coffee shop. Um, and I don't, I can't figure out, the bookstore is called Friction Books. And it's, it's just like two bookshelves worth like it's very small it's in the back corner of this coffee shop and i cannot figure out and have not really tried to interrogate what it is that their book selection process is but it's here's just 300 books or whatever that are exactly max's jam (laughs) Uh, (laughs) like half of them are ones that i've read and enjoyed and the other half i'm like i've never heard about this and then i read the back and i'm like okay but it's next to this other book that i love and it sounds like a book i'm gonna love so i'm just gonna buy it yeah um, which happens very rarely to me. Like usually I buy books that I've like researched or what looked into in some way, shape or form. Very mm-hmm. rarely do I just like buy a book based on the cover or whatever. Um, and so I've been trying to do that. And that's why I bought Peculiar Path because it's like this weird uh, magical realism, like mystical, like there's a, a, like, you know, somebody's grandfather dies and he's left a house and the house is full of weird and uh, like pseudo magical parallel universe things. And has some gateways to some other worlds, but the other world, and I was like super into it, and I really like the main characters. Uh, and then the other in the other world, Alistair Crowley is leading a war against Europe, and I was like, nope, <laughs> no, I don't like other reality, Alistair Crowley. <laughs> yeah, and I was the second it became like, oh, we're gonna reference real people and their parallel world selves, and how they're be- and like because there's so much like, oh, you're trying to make a lot of in jokes. Right. Like the second you do something like take a named character from history, it sometimes can be interesting, but it's not the ones that we know of from history. It's their parallel universe self. So you've really just made up your own character, but then tried to tell me that I should have some kind of touchstone for who they are. And it just like, it felt like it was trying to be way too clever. It was like, you're trying to, it's, I get it. Napoleon or whatever. I mean, it's Napoleon's head in a jar, which is slightly more interesting than just Napoleon, but still. Right. I do love Born by Jeff Vandermeer, though. 
Yeah, I mean, I was on board. Like, I've enjoyed other Vandermeer books, so I was, I was, I thought, I thought it was a surefire thing. Really, I should have, I should have known better than to think that. Just slip it back on the shelf next time you're getting coffee. I read 450 pages of it. It's two <laughs> books. It's Why two books in one many? book. Why is it that many pages? It's such a big book. It's two books in one book, and I read the first book. So, and then I put it down and was like, I don't need to read the second book. That's what I could see. I couldn't even actually put it down. I struggled through the first book of two books that are bound together, but was like, yeah. I'm not going to read the second one. But you finished the first one. You finished a book. So I did. Let it go. I did. I'm rolling. I got a six. What is your best RPG experience? Oh, dang. I'm just going to talk about. Uh, Sailors on the Star of the Sea forever. I'm not. I'm not gonna. But that is the most recent, my favorite RPG experience. The TCC game. Yep. Go <laughs> for it. Let's hear about it. Let's talk about it. We talked about it so many times on this podcast. I just love it. It's my most. Have we really? I think it's come up. I think it's been referenced a few times. But uh, it is my most recent. I have a pretty shitty memory, and so it's the one that is currently occupying my best RPG experience memory. Um, I recently ran Sailors on a Starless Sea uh, in Dungeon Crawl Classics because I wanted to learn Dungeon Crawl Classics and I wanted to understand a funnel. And so I ran it for some friends, uh, Aaron included. And I misread a rule. So spoilers for anybody who doesn't want to hear about uh, Sailors on a Starless Sea. Um, There is, or DCC, but I misread a DCC rule, which is, so there's this well... (laughs) There is a well at the top, and the well is full of just chaos energy. And so if if characters fall in the well, um, pretty much they're kind of guaranteed to die because it's a funnel, but they get mutated first via corruption. Um, and one of my favorite things that happened is that we spent an hour at the well because somebody fell in the well but caught themselves. Somebody else managed to pull that person out of the well, but in the process, they fell into the well. <laughs> and then... They, they were stuck at the top of the well because people tried to pull them out, but eventually ended up dropping them or something. Like it was, I don't even remember all of the details, but it was like a slapstick comedy event of people falling in and then re- getting rescued out of the well. Um, and so like, like three different characters, I think only one character died in the well, but a couple characters developed corruption mutations in the well. Um, one of which was uh, infrared vision. Which, if you read the rules for infrared vision, it says, like, anything thicker than a couple inches or whatever blocks your vision. But it's, you know, they can see heat signatures. Um, And I missed the anything thicker than a few inches blocks this vision and just, and also missed the, I was very caught up in the moment. I missed a lot of rules, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Also missed the scale of the dungeon itself in relation to how far you could see. Right. Like I didn't I, I when I was reading it, I didn't get that like, oh, this dungeon, like the the dungeon that they're going into is actually like hundreds of feet deep in my mind. For whatever reason, it wasn't hundreds of feet deep. Um, and so I uh, so in in my interpretation, my misinterpretation of the rules and also the scale of the dungeon um, resulted in me being like, oh, fuck, they can see every heat signature <laughs> that I'm going to set up for the rest of the experience. <laughs> Which is not how that would have worked, but was so good. <laughs> ended yeah, up being it, so fun. Ended up being fun because it was like, we ended up just with too much information. 
so much information and it became like this fun mystery of like well we got all these heat signatures it didn't fix anything for us it just gave us all this information to like try to mess with like it was still a funnel we still all died oh yeah uh, did you ever all die but yeah like and i mean the first part the first section probably was correct like you could see that there was some bodies hanging out on the other side of a wooden door waiting to ambush you uh and that one felt fine it was the oh, I've told you that there is heat signatures that look like massive tendo- uh, tentacles descending into darkness that I think right. was where I stretched the scale of things. But it was great because it set up this weird, like, impending doom that you know is down there as you went closer and closer to the underground sea. Right, You're we like, weren't going to be like, oh, we just leave. Because, like, yeah. what's the point? We're here for the funnel, you know? Yeah, we're just going to exit, but also, like, what the fuck is that thing? And, like, yeah. you didn't know there was water. Like, I don't know. It was it was my favorite, like, oh, fuck the rules. Misread rules more often. Try and read rules upside down or something. This is my recommendations. Well, and this also sort of answers, uh, we got some listener questions, and PB asked, has there been a time when an RPG or session uh, really surprised you in a bigger-than-the-game way? Um, and... You know, bigger than the game. I don't know. That's I think it, tough... fun- it fundamentally changed my game design brain. Then yes, bigger than the game. Like not bigger well, than the game in like an identity way. Like those moments also have happened in games, right? But like bigger than the game in a game design way. And that I was like, no, like being, giving the players, like I will forever love DCC. Because even though I misread it, I think this is the general philosophy of DCC. And I think it's, it's, I think this is, you can get to this point through other avenues but giving the players tools and rules to disrupt the flow, the expected flow of the GM is the right choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surprising, finding ways to surprise myself is always my favorite part of playing games. And I think, you know, we talked about like, oh, I used to play in for hours kind of thing. Um, and I think that's something a lot of people go through, myself included. But then it just becomes like, well, I've planned everything. I guess we just see what happens now. And like not leaving room for surprises. And I got kind of bored. And I didn't realize what it was until I started like rolling on random encounter tables and stuff. And then I could surprise myself. And then I would leave more room in my planning. And then the players would surprise me because they would have more room to maneuver. Um, And just like emergent storytelling from stuff like that. Uh, it started in, so I ran, I started running fifth edition in 2014, like when it first came out and it was on stranger things or whatever. And, uh, critical role in adventure zone. It was just like the start of that big crest. And some people at work asked me, or they were like, Oh, I wonder what it's like to play D and D. And I had played a lot in college just as a player and never run it, but I was like, I can do it. I'll run D&D for you. Um, but was reading a bunch of OSR blogs at the time, and so I was obsessed with, like, random encounters and things like that that are not as essential in 5th edition. And the snowball, you know, oh, they're going west of the city. Here's the encounter, the random encounter table. Some gnomes, some kind of, like, feral gnomes are out there, and they 
lead them to where they're going. But then the players were really mean to them. So I was like, these gnomes got to come back. They got to come back with a vengeance. <laughs> and then in this dungeon, like this evil gnome god came up on the random encounter tables and they ended up like bartering with this gnome god and like gave it this magic sword that they valued and it ate the sword. And I was like, well, how can I tie that together? And then, you know, next time they went back in gnome territory, this gnome that they had fucked over had this magic sword and was, like, flying around like Crouching Tiger, uh, Hidden Dragon style. And they, then, you know, that gnome became the enemy of the game. And they were like, we got to get this sword back. we got to destroy this gnome. And, like, none of that would have happened if I hadn't rolled on these encounter tables. And that stuff, that pure hatred for this flying sword gnome, was much more fun than anything that I had planned. I flying. I'm making a flying sword gnome. <laughs> this is my awesome. next character. Yeah, he was just killing people left and right. This gnome was great. Yeah, I think that is that that is like a lot of my path as well. Is like I used to do a lot of D and D, and a lot of D and D is like you have a part of the book for every eventuality, and it's very um, again like not that you can't play other kinds of games, but it's very railroady. Uh, in how like the adventures are written and whatever, and how there are so many rules, <laughs> the rules that try to accommodate every eventuality, right? Which is so different than the idea that like you have no idea what's going to happen, and that's great. In fact, like it was a fundamental, it was a fundamental uh, design philosophy shift for me that I took into designing himbos and the spellcasting of himbos. Right? It was like I want people to be able to say the wildest stuff because it's fucking magic yo and i think that like we forget because we're so like steeped in fantasy literature and fantasy entertainment and fantasy games that like like magic is ever present but what magic looks like is a fucking fireball and i'm like what magic looks like doesn't have to be a fucking fireball that is not the be all and end all of magic and it is D's fault that people think that that's the coolest thing that you can fucking do with magic because it kills yeah. a lot of people right like because yes it is the most powerful whatever level spell um but like that's boring as shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in, the, in the, you know, like one, one of my other um, recent really enjoyable memories is in, when I was running one of the games for Himbos to, to have an example, uh, a dear friend of mine, Adam, who I have been playing RPGs with for 22 years. <laughs> um, yeah. Is one of the people that introduced me to, to RPGs back in the day. They, um, they had a they had a sheet cuz the only thing that they rolled equipment wise was a blanket <laughs> so they only had a blanket and but they had used the blanket to disarm a bunch of skeletons that were carrying scythes and so their blanket was now tangled up with scythes and they were surrounded by um sentient vegetables <laughs> that were going to attack them and they uh and so they wanted to cast a spell that turned them into a blender. <laughs> and like it all worked and they like turned themselves into a blender and just spun around with this weird sheet full of scythes. Um, and and I was like, yeah, this is this is what I want games to be. This is what magic can be, friends. This is your aspirational magic descriptor. Be a sheet full of scythes. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, yeah. It's way more fun than, you know, third level fighter. Yeah, right? Fuck that shit. Oh, we've gotten down to four. I have to change my dice. I don't even have a D4. Where is it? They always sink to the bottom. We also have more listener questions, if you want. 
Also, number four is what is a cornerstone of your games, which I also feel like we already answered. Yeah, so. fine. Fuck that question. I, rolled. I hear you rolling. I rolled. What do you read outside of RPGs? You've semi-covered this. Answer is comics. <laughs> I don't read just comics. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up reading. Like, my dad would bring comic books home for me, and that's how I learned to read. And then growing up, uh, when I was just living with my mom and my sister, my mom would just be like, read whatever. And so when I was 12, I was reading, like, her copies of Queen of the Damned by Anne Rice. Or, like, oh, it's the afternoon, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to grab this copy of Our Bodies, Ourselves, and learn about <laughs> human sexuality. You know, like the old one, like the black and white, like... uh real hippie version this explains uh, why we're friends so much of this explains why we're friends it's great yeah fine i was reading feminist theory aaron's like right. our bodies ourselves just right. little eight-year-olds and then Anne rice which is just like a different kind of body exploration mm-hmm. um and yeah and then when i went to i like i got really burned out on fantasy i remember my sixth grade science teacher was like you gotta read the hobbit you're gonna love it and i did read it and i did love it but then I just read so much fantasy that I was like, cool. I feel like I've kind of seen what you have to offer. Um, and so then when I went into college, I was reading like, you know, the kinds of things that shitty 19 year old white boys read of just like Kurt Vonnegut and, uh, <laughs> you know, just like that kind of that I think is good but I think is like very much a good for a certain kind of person. And um, that got me into like more literary stuff. I have history and English degrees. So I read a bunch then. Um, yeah. And then my comic reading was like, I just read whatever, whatever superhero stuff growing up. And then in the nineties, I got super into the first comic I ever bought month to month was X force, which was like the gritty, rebellious x-men that they're like fuck you professor xavier we're gonna go for the bad guys first uh drawn by rob liefeld famed shit man but i think an underrated artist people make fun of his art and some of his art is really bad but i think it's bad in a really like energetic way that i enjoy but i read that every month for five years and then i got into like sandman and stuff and then that led to like shitty dude comics like fantagraphics slice of life stuff um and then i've like worked in bookstores and libraries most of my life too and so just got exposure to all sorts of stuff and luckily like here in minneapolis there's like a big queer zine and mini comics scene um and so that has given me a lot of stuff that i am reading now i'm currently reading the new Marlon James. The old Marlon James is on was what I uh well, the last time I was bookless when I finished the first book of Peculiar Path, I looked at my to read shelf and it was between that and the book that I ended up reading. So that will be my oh. next book is the first one in the series that I think yeah. you were mentioning. Moonwitch Spider. Moonwitch, comma, Spider King is this one. Uh it's really good. I don't know. I'm really excited it. to read the first one. I guess I'm reading fantasy again. You know, I came back around. Fantasy is more interesting now. Yeah. Uh, There's a lot more interesting people that are getting 
their books published in ways that make them accessible to people. There have always been interesting people writing fantasy, but there are more of them accessible for people now than just yes. fucking Brandon Sanderson or whatever. Um, yeah, I read a lot of fantasy when I was a kid, and I, I read a lot of fantasy. I actually left comics. I wanted to be an illustrator when I was a kid. I used to draw all the time, um, and I used to love comics, uh, but I grew up really poor and so could never get them. Like, comics were just not an option because I could spend, you know, like four bucks on a comic or I could spend four bucks on a used book. And one of those would last me approximately 20 seconds. And one of them would last me a week or whatever. Um, And my, um, we were, we were super poor, but my mother, um, my mother's house rule was that as long as I kept reading, she would keep finding money for books. Um, It's a good rule. Yeah, it's a very good rule. <laughs> um, and so I was like that kid that like walked around. Like I, I walk and read. Uh, <laughs> Me too. Me too. Which some people find really upsetting. <laughs> They're like very worried that I'm going to trip over something. And I'm like, no, it's fine. I've been doing it for, you know, 20 years. I'll be, That's I'll That's exactly my answer. Yeah. Uh, maybe I will fall and trip over something. But you know, I've fallen, I've fallen and tripped many times in my life. And literally none of them have been when I've been reading a book yeah. and walking. Um, but if yeah. it does happen, it'll be a great way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I go. Better be well reading a book. Um, and so I had like a particular affinity for anything that was small in paperback that I could like put in a back pocket because I was a like shitty punky teen. And so I always had like, like ripped up jeans that sometimes sometimes had cargo pockets in them or whatever, because yeah, uh, because I was born in the 80s <laughs> deal. Um, right. There was a period where we all had too many pockets and I needed one of those pockets to fit a book. Uh, and a fantasy is very good for having that. But when I was, um, I also read a lot of feminist theory. And when I was a, a teenager, I started reading like um, lesbian pulp novels quite a bit. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, because I was a lesbian teenager. Uh, <laughs> it's a lie. I was never once identified as a lesbian, but uh, other people could have identified me that way. Um, but I also really, um, I still read a lot of fantasy. I still read a lot of science fiction. Uh, one of the things that I kind of discovered that I liked quite late in life are the classics. Yeah. Like, I love a 600-page Russian book about high society people that nothing is happening, but everybody is dramatic about it. <laughs> Into it. Yes, yeah. Bridgerton is my jam. Like, a period piece where it's like, everybody's pissed off because nothing is fucking happening um when it's romance and drama and oh you looked at me the wrong way at that fucking society ball or whatever (laughs) therefore i'm coming for your family um (laughs) fucking love it love that shit uh when i first read i don't know why i went through a um a period where I was like, oh, I'm going to read some like Russian classics or I'm going to read some French classics or whatever. Uh, and, and after having read, <laughs> after having been known for only reading like science fiction and fantasy for a lot of my life, being like, you know what I love? I loved Anna Karenina. <laughs> I loved Anna Karenina. Uh, I enjoyed fucking Dead Souls. Like they're like, it was just these super boring ass books that I realize are classics for a reason because they like people took to them, but uh yeah wuthering heights all about it (laughs) this is an important follow-up what's your favorite book you've read this year oh let me check the list i also have a list so i can check (laughs) let me check the log i've i've read some spectacular books this year and then some mediocre books 
I mean, I think it's the the dawn of everything, the new David Graeber book. Oh, I'm halfway. I'm not halfway. Yeah. I'm a third. I'm reading it with a, a friend. Uh, we're like reading. We were, and then I had to move unexpectedly again. But we were doing a read a read a chapter a week, and then have a Monday morning meeting about it. Yeah, it's very compelling. <laughs> it's very compelling, and it's very uh, uplifting for me. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is nice it's nice to be like here is a logical scaled out view of the world that doesn't say everything is the worst thing that's ever happened yeah um i actually have a really hard time with my favorite book that i've read because i read three books this year already that i am kind of really in love with and they're very different let's hear them um a psalm for the wild built is phenomenal it is the new becky chambers it's super good i'm making a game inspired by it and it's gonna be a soft feelingsy game which is so irregular for me but that's how good this fucking book is yeah uh i also read cersei this yes so good. so good it's so good um and people have been saying it's so good forever like it's been sitting on a shelf of mine for probably years and everybody's been like it's so good and i'm like i haven't read it yet but it's so good um and then i read my first stephen king i read the long walk and i loved it oh, i haven't read that one i've only read the stand by him the long walk is like when he was writing under a pseudonym um and uh pseudonym it's i think it's when he was writing under pseudonym there's four books that are he was written as uh as richard bachman um and it is i mean i think it's probably a cornerstone of what he's known for like it is kind of like you know middle america long long slow horror (laughs) long slow creeping horror and it is just like the premise is that uh a hundred young boys once a year have to walk until there's only one boy left what the fuck yeah it's it's wild but like i like battle royale i like the hunger games i like all that like (laughs) creeping what would you like in those circumstances you find out how how bad you could be or whatever you know like i think battle royale does that a little bit better than the hunger games actually like the original battle royale um but uh but yeah, like when push comes to shove and survival's on the line, do you like turn on your friends or whatever? Um, yeah. But yeah, the log walk is very interesting. It's very interesting. It is. It's a. It's a slow burn, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> We're learning. I just like slow burns sometimes. Yeah, I'm gonna ask one of these questions that PB sent us. Another one. The the first one, the broadest one, the scariest one. Okay. What is the value of RPGs to you? Oh God. What have they given you? What do they give you now? Why are you glad you met them? Slash, are you glad you met them? That is such a big question, eh? I think this is really funny. This ties into, like, I I was thinking that at some point in this little chat, we should talk about, like, what got us into designing them. Like, what what is our, like, player path and what is our designer path? Because I think sometimes they're a little bigger. Like, I, I, you know, I said I've been playing RPGs for 22 years, but, like, I've only been designing them for two, <laughs> two and a half. Um, and, and I didn't, they've become a whole different thing now that I designed them, you know? Yeah. Uh, and like, 
I think I'm probably uh, like a lot of folks. I'm of a generation where like I never would have imagined that that was a legit job. Not that what I'm doing is a legit job. Not that I really <laughs> care about legit jobs, but it is in fact a legit job. <laughs> it yeah. could be. Um, but even that like game design in general, right? Like I think it's easier to make money going for video games than it is going for tabletop games. But, you know, when I was 11 or 12 and trying to think about what I wanted to be when I grew up, that was not on the list. Right. Um, I was going to be a fucking fancy artist. So, so more, so much more realistic. Um, (laughs) but when I was, when I was a teenager, like I started playing when I was 13 and Funnily enough, this ties into the moving to Toronto and hoping to meet homosexuals. I started playing in a group with adults, exclusively adults, <laughs> um, with somebody that my mom worked with. Um, and we played every Friday night for years. Damn. Damn. Uh, and we played D&D 3rd, 3rd edition D&D. Um, And it was like the only, like it was my main form of socialization. It was my main exposure to like queer community and culture uh, and friendship. It was also um, deeply fucked up, Uh, but (laughs) that's not for me. Luckily, Uh, the the GM of that game um, had some inappropriate feelings about some of the other members of that group. And those would come out through the game. Um, and, and so it would be awkward for the rest of us. The most notorious, uh, being when they punished a player who they probably, I don't know, had a thing for, I don't, whatever they, but they punished a player based, like based on the real world relationships that they were having, right? Like not game related at all, um, by making their character pregnant. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) It was wild. It was a wild time to be alive in RPGs. Um, like very against because because the the player was the character was flirting with another character, and the the two players were people that I think the GM both had like some kind of crush on and was really jealous about the way that they were interacting, and so punished the play punished the characters. Um with pregnancy even though that was like you know it was like a now, 12th level read, mage or something i have read our bodies ourselves and i know <laughs> that you can't get pregnant from flirting you that cannot get pregnant happen. from flirting but i guess if you're a wizard i maybe... guess if i guess if you're a super powerful magical being you wouldn't understand birth control or see safety. you said you said fireball is the coolest spell but make baby <laughs> is perhaps the greatest magic of all yeah make baby the worst i'm uh, joking about this it sounds like a terrible situation it was horrible do not do uh, that folks it, it was horrible but it brought me one of the most important human beings in my life which is this aforementioned adam um and uh and it was very it was very fundamental to my having access to like queer community and culture because the group was primarily queer um and rpgs became like the way in which i would interact with other queer people i started going to cons when i was like a teenager um and (laughs) really weird con story also adam and i have many many weird con stories together but um adam and i often got read as things that we were not in that we got read as a uh a heterosexual couple uh and at the time at that time one adam is 10 years older than i am and i was a teenager so this was 
inappropriate for many reasons. That reading of us was inappropriate for many reading reasons. Um, but um, neither one of us were heterosexual, and the ways in which we were not heterosexual were opposed to our having been in any kind of potential partnership together. Um, <laughs> but still, everybody could only read heterosexuality. But we ended up at a con game once. Um, it was a nighttime game and it was actually a pretty cool concept the idea was that every table in the room was a different pirate ship and so you would sit down at a table you'd have that game but they were all you're all kind of like in the same sea or whatever um and we unknowingly sat down at the kink pirate ship <laughs> where like the and adam ended up being the captain that was a like old captain kink <laughs> yeah a double whip wielding like late badass lady in a in a body con latex suit or whatever um and i was the <laughs> i ended up being like the ship grunt <laughs> there you go which i should i was like 15 years old none of this was whatever but like it it was a wild time cons were wild <laughs> In the early 2000s, friends, the stories that I would get told about what the things that happened, because all cons were in hotels and there were all these, the hotel room parties were a whole thing. I'm sure they're still the same. I just don't go out ever. Uh, <laughs> but it was this weird, like, everybody here is weird. So even though we're getting read as, like, strangely heterosexual, like, everybody is weird and nobody really knows how to socialize and everybody doesn't know how to interact with the real world. And it was this, like, really... It was very subculture-y, and that, like, subcultureness was very important for me having a position to, like, to center my lack of assimilation into, like, normal culture, <laughs> whether that was about queerness or just, like, being a weird nerd or being, like, a, a, a awkward, fat, pimply kid, which was very fundamental to my teenage experiences right. you know like there were so many parts of that where it was like i need weirdos in order to feel okay and so much of that was about queerness but also some of that was just about being weird um and not really fitting and uh or being sad or whatever and rpgs really gave me a lot of that when i was a young player it's a good answer to quote all the contestants on family feud good answer <laughs> it's a very long answer no i, I had know. to pepper it with some weird stories they were good stories. Uh, Don't do this at home. Don't do these things in your games. Yeah. That's a, a warning. I don't have anything that tops that. I don't, you know, like, I'm just a very devoted introvert. Um, and I like seeing people, but I don't. You know, I'm not going to go do it on a whim, like go to a party or go to a, you know, whatever. And so I like the idea of a structured time and we all kind of know what's going to happen here. And there are some rules and then we all get to go home. And like, you know, it's just a, a good regular social time for me. And I think that also has influenced a lot of my game opinions and game design as well of just like, I try, I'm trying to design for just, like, some maximum fun in a little bit of time. You know, I love a 90-minute session. How can we get straight to that? How can we make people feel comfortable hopping into this, like, ostensibly strange hobby? And a lot of the people I play with are, like, first-timers. I taught them 
um, how to play RPGs. And so I don't usually have that like historical or cultural uh, depth of these people have played for years. Um, so for me, it's like closer to a, a poker night or something <laughs> like that. Like, I don't know. That's, that's all. That's why I, I play no Magic Gathering. Stories. I'm sure yeah. you have many funny stories. Oh, I, I, I probably have good stories, but, you know, nothing about... <laughs> Awkward teenage lives? <laughs> right. Yes. I didn't really play until, uh, you know, I bought a bunch of books when I was young with my allowance. You know, I'd save up and go to Walden Books or whatever and buy a AD&D player's handbook or, you know, Mage the Sorcerer's Crusade or whatever. But I didn't play regularly until I was probably 23 or 24. And so um, by then I had, you know, found like punk music and stuff, which I think served a lot of the social purposes that you were talking about of like finding weirdos. Yes, and... screw D&D, I have punk music. <laughs> well, you know, it, and that is, I think, a classic arc for people. But for me, it wasn't like, fuck you, D&D. It was like. I only had one friend that was remotely interested, and so that's not really enough to consistently play D&D. So it just got left by the wayside. But I still read the books, like, really regularly. Um, this I don't know how I, I do remember how I stumbled into this group, but, like, I feel very lucky that I did because it wasn't, even though it was a really weird time and it got really dramatic towards the end there, but um, I didn't know anybody else that played RPGs until, I want to say, like, my 20s. Yeah. Like there was a big when that group stopped playing, there was a big time where I didn't play because I was the only person that I knew. Um, and so if I hadn't had that, and none of those were also like at my school or whatever, right? Like none of that had to do with my actual social circle of my everyday life. And so like if that hadn't happened, I don't know uh what that would have looked like <laughs> for me. Yeah. Would have been a sad yeah. time. I was a sad teenager to begin with, would have been a sadder time. Uh yeah, I feel like uh I feel like now I'm much more on the just pick up with a, a bunch of people. I really, I really value. I think I, I messaged this to you the other day, but like one of the things that I really value about stream games is they kind of hold that con place um, in my mind, which is like playing with people that you kind of wouldn't, or at least this is this is actually like a specific kudos to uh, Tony and and Plus One Jams because like getting to play with people that you wouldn't really have exposure to or a reason to play with is a thing that I really enjoy. Um, and uh, Tony's been really great at facilitating that, at least in the stream games that I've been in. Um, but uh, yeah, what about designing? What what brought you to the the game design world? I don't know. Um, I mean, I feel like the there's that idea of like, oh, anyone who GMs games also designs games, kind of thing, like making bespoke content for their D&D game or whatever. Um, I think a lot of it was like uh, like zine culture here. I was a co-organizer of the Twin Cities Zine Fest for a few years. And um, just the idea of like, oh, if you do this little thing, you can document it and print it out and trade it with people or sell it. And like, you know, I would go to Zine Fest and it would be like, here is a zine about caring for your cast iron skillet and here is a zine about very personal poetry and here's a zine about my transformers fan art and so like once i was interested in enough in D, &D or 
other role-playing games, it just became a natural next step to like try to get that into a little paper booklet of some sort, uh, partially for myself, partially for my friends. Um, and so it wasn't even actively about designing so much as like creating a sort of record of what I had done. Um, and now you're the greatest game designer alive. <laughs> yeah. No one can step to me. Yeah, That's why they exactly. call me Aaron King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Son of Stephen King. I've never read his books, though. <laughs> Stephen motherfucking King. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't know. Like, I think that has still been my arc or my goal, like, is to just try to make something personal and not... Yeah. Something that I think will sell very well, <laughs> which is maybe to my detriment, but yeah, whatever. Fuck capitalism. Um, <laughs> I said this on a tweet today, but uh, every game that I make is full of like violence and weird little guys and comedy and chaos, and everybody who makes games that I like, everybody who I like, idolize and respect and whatever makes like these really good, like personal, soft, intimate, emotional games. And I'm like, what? How? How one do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would like to know how I could get better at this. Apparently, I'm going to figure this out because of Becky Chambers. This is this is my right, yeah, my arc from uh, OSR adjacent designer to to fucking only feelings and story games. Oh, I was going to say I started designing games because I read a book, which is unsurprising. I think I think is the most on brand thing for both us in this podcast and also me. Uh, but I was reading S. It's by. Uh, Doug Dorst and J.J. Abrams. <laughs> what? I've never heard of this. It is a wild ride, and it's very good. Um, and it, I really enjoyed it, at least. But it the the sell is hard. It's a book in a book. So there is a novel that was written that they wrote it together or whatever. And then in the margins and in the like ephemera that's added in um to the game so there's like like postcards and whatever and stuff in there um and everything's been like um like the book is riddled with marginalia um is another story about two people and the surroundings of the book uh and like the circumstances of the author of the book yeah um and it's this whole like mystery it's two simultaneous things that you're reading and there's a there's a mystery being written like written back and forth between two people in the margins of the book um and it i loved it and i fucking love that shit sometimes i hate a gimmick it's really funny sometimes i really am like this book's too this book's too gimmicky and then i'm like there's a postcard in this book and it has stuff in it great um but i really like like i really like immersive theater i really like uh, alternate reality games like i i kind of like that that blending of real world real world and uh, fantasy stuff and that those kind of like different lenses and layers um and it uh i was reading it for book club and i just really i really loved it it's huge it took me a long time to read and then i realized that like this would be a fun thing to play this would be a super I, this should have been my answer to if i wanted a book to become an rpg <laughs> um oh yeah this would be a super fun book to play and i was like wait a second every book could be this uh and i made my first game because it was the pandemic and i was just reading books and not knowing what to do with myself and i made a book called marginalia that is uh or, or i made a game called marginalia where you play it by sending a book back and forth to two people and write to one another in the margins 
which I guess is actually feelings against story gamey. I started there. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I started there. And then I was like, fuck, fuck those feelings. What if we smash shit? <laughs> I mean, sometimes we smash shit because of feelings. Arguably always. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a fun, it's a fun trajectory. Does that answer that question? Did that even, what are they, what have they given you? What do they give to you? There's so much more that could be, that question could have just been the whole podcast, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Where are we going from here? This is how we're ending this episode. What is the future of this podcast? We should have asked the question, what is this podcast brought to you? What has it given you? What is it? For me, the answer is joy. Uh, but we didn't ask that question. So where is it going? <laughs> well, our next episode. Is that what you mean? Yes, I do. I do. Next I mean, what's episode. exciting? What's the future? Yes, we'll, we'll, we'll edit out some of this. Uh, next episode is part two of our chill month. We're reading a little, a little zine independently a produced. A little book you little, may have heard of. A little RPG zine called dungeons and dragons it's the original it's the first one um it's 36 pages which rules does rule and i'm probably gonna read the first three books but that's because i'm curious i'm curious about the box set experience which i'm not gonna pay a thousand dollars for but right i might read all three of them um so that's next episode because this begins Next episode also begins a, a sub-series that we're doing, which is that only you and I, we're going to reconnect. We've been having some, like, we've been having so many fabulous guests, but we've also been having this, like, maybe we should just chat to one another. I enjoy speaking to you. That's why we started yeah. this. Yeah. But we are going to do every edition of Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> Eventually. Eventually. Maybe. Yes. It's not, not in a row. It's not going to be the next right. five episodes. Please do not, please do not unsubscribe. <laughs> Uh, no, but every once in a while, we're going to pick up the next edition of D&D so that we can eventually get to the ones that are our loves. <laughs> so we can eventually learn how much we dislike the things we used to love. Yeah, I would not be surprised if my opinions have changed. But yes, because you're you're fourth edition and I'm third edition. I'm, so I'm a fourth edition fan. At least you're going to have to watch me go through that agonizing process of learning that a thing you loved when you were young is bad, actually, <laughs> uh, before you have to go through it. Right. So uh, OD&D next time. Read along. It's pretty easy to find uh, for cheap. Um. I feel like Wizards released like a free edition at some point. I might be making that up, but and then oh, then we have some interesting stuff. Oh yeah, and then after that we have uh, another very small book written in 1974 by a 14 year old who had played Dungeons and Dragons but didn't know it was a thing that someone had invented, and so wrote down his own rules for the game of Dungeon. Um, So that survives one of the first kind of. D&D spin-offs hacks. Um and then I think after that we're doing Warhammer fantasy roleplay. We're doing GURPS and that should take us through like July, right? Agon. Oh right, is that how you say it? I don't know. We're reading agony? a game. What is it? it can be agony, can it? Written in France in French. The title is A G O N E. Uh this is translated to English. 
And so I don't know how to say it. That'll be our first question. Uh, Tyler Crumren joining us for that one. Adira Slattery joining us for GURPS. John Geary for Warhammer. And then Adam Waldron Bain. Bain? Brain? Oh my god, Bain. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I'm tired. I just ordered some food. Because I, I was talking about fried chicken and I realized how hungry I was. <laughs> <laughs> so my brain's dead. But yeah, uh, Adam will be on for the rules for the game of Dungeon. Um, I'm sorry. You just put our cassettes up. Speaking of the future, let's talk about the past. Let's talk about episode zero. Whoa, episode zero. It exists. It's out there. There are very few of them left already. They will be sold for sure by the time this episode comes out. A hundred percent they no. will be gone. Oh, no. Uh, by the time. Maybe someday we'll release some special edition of them on uh, 8-track. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to play an 8-track. I've never touched an 8-track. <laughs> I'm not old enough for that. Um I'm going to release them exclusively on MP3 cassette. I don't know if you had those. That was my favorite device <laughs> in the history of the world. It was those MP3 cassettes that Sony, those Sony Walkmans that were square that they put out. Best, best. I miss, I miss that era of technology. Um, or maybe we'll make a little ARG and have to hide it on the internet behind some obtuse tweets that involve some kind of mathematical equation or something. I actually really love that idea. Great, because I love those those stupid ARGs, so I'm here for it. But as of right now, it is only available on cassette in a limited edition of 10. It also contains a tiny game by you uh, of cute little weird space guys. <laughs> And by you, I don't mean you, the audience. I mean you, Aaron yeah, Motherfucking King. Write your, you have to write your own game. Yeah, it contains a game by you. You don't know this yet, but you've made a game that goes with this cassette. Um, but it does exist. It is out there. Who knows? Maybe one of those people who bought it is going to record it and release it to the internet on like a torrent site or something. Like uh... it. Like maybe they're going to rip it. Because that's what you do with cassettes. I also support that. This is not, yeah, I am for sure. If you want to bootleg that, please, please, 10 people who bought it, you have our support. Um, But that also means that you're getting a new microphone and this is, is, we're going to sound even better. Yeah. I actually have a completely different voice. (laughs) It's just my (laughs) microphone that makes me sound like this. (laughs) We're going to find some audio filter to run you through. I'm going to ask Will. I have a nice and pleasant voice. Uh, yeah, because right now you sound like a troll. I do. I'm a, uh, I'm an ogre. What am I? Yeah, you, <laughs> from Changeling. You did say ogre. You did say yeah, ogre. I'm an ogre. Yeah, just like Shrek. Yeah, uh, butterface with a pleasingly V-shaped <laughs> torso. Is that what? <laughs> yeah, powerful V-shaped torso. <laughs> powerful. Sorry, I went pleasing. I apologize. Powerful. <laughs> Uh, well <laughs> wonderful that now me. if you don't know who we are after <laughs> this i have nothing more to give you yeah this is us welcome thank you rtfmcast.com ko-fi.com slash rtfm give us your money we're still trying to fundraise for uh ray's butt tattoo yes that's the other thing butts <laughs>